Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20 says that he who walks with wise people will himself be wise. But the companion of fools will be destroyed. That's a simple proverb, but it's one of those passages that sticks with you. Uh, It's a simple truth about life. If you want to have a better shot at being wise, then you better hang out with someone who is wise. Now, in Proverbs, wisdom is not just the ability to do an algebraic equation. Uh, It's not merely the ability to change the oil in your car, neither of which can I do. Uh, Wisdom in Proverbs is the fear of the Lord. Wisdom in Proverbs is uh, literally adjusting all that I am to what God desires. I can think of very few people of whom I could say with absolute certainty there is a wise person. But one of those people is Philip Herring. Today we have the privilege of honoring Philip and Jan for 20 years of service. And for me personally, it is a joy and a blessing uh, to take this moment in this worship gathering uh, to celebrate them uh, here at First Norfolk on Kinsville, First Norfolk at Volvo. Uh, Philip and Jan, will you all come? And church, will you just welcome them? We seek to honor them today. One of the, uh, one of the, y'all go ahead and be seated because I'm going to talk for about 10 minutes. Um, (laughs) Just so you know, uh, one of the joys uh, that I have each day is uh, the privilege of coming and uh, working alongside uh, Philip Herring. Um, There are very few people in my life that I can say, I would entrust my life to this man. And he is one of those few men. Um, He is, in his own gentle way, uh, a person who tells me truth when I need to hear it. Again, in his own gentle way. (laughs) And it may take about two hours to get to that point. (laughs) But he always tells me, not, not what I want to hear, but what I need to hear. Um, I, I am a person who uh, is very um, slow in developing strong friendships. Uh, it's a dysfunction I carry with me as a preacher's kid. Um, but for 15 years uh, that I've been here, uh, every day I know that Philip is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And I share life with him. And uh, it is uh, one of my greatest joys of saying that Philip is my partner, my friend, and my brother in Christ. 
in ministry here at First Norfolk and in life. Uh, if, if, uh, if we didn't have this job uh, each day, we would still be friends. Um, and, uh, and so I'm thankful for him. Uh, you have been the recipient. I've only had 15 years of blessing from Philip and Jan. Uh, but this church has been the recipient for 20 years. Starting out as student, pa- uh, student pastor, uh, pastors, um, because when you get Philip, you also get Jan, and Jan comes along at no cost, and that's always been a joy. Uh, oh, it is a cost. Well, there is a cost, I know. I, I, I didn't want to speak for Philip. I just, I didn't want to speak for Philip. Uh, let me tell you what I do know. I know that Jan eats and sleeps some of this stuff called ministry every single day. And uh, Philip does it here in the office, and then he goes home and he does it at the house because Jan Jan has read probably more books than I have, no doubt, on some aspects of small group. I'm going to speak for Philip. Definitely more than me. Uh, on, on certain topics, and she is a voracious student, uh, and it is always a joy uh, to hear the best ideas that come through uh, this team that works together uh, for God's glory through First Norfolk. It is an unbelievable gift of God's grace to this church, and uh, I know that you have been the recipient of his and their sacrificial, generous love. I know that you have been the recipient of time and, uh, and, and energy and resource that they have given. I shared this earlier. I am thankful, and it is such a blessing to the church to have a workaholic on staff. It is wonderful. And, and someone that you can guilt every now and then into doing certain things. Philip is that guy. He's the perfect staff person. It does take one to know one. So uh, if uh, uh, the joy that we have as a church, the joy that we have as a staff, is that we have the privilege of sharing life with such treasures of God's kingdom as Philip and Jan Herring. And uh, as, uh, as an appreciation to them, I want to encourage you tonight, you come at 5 o'clock. 5 o'clock, we're having communion together at First Norfolk on Volvo. We're going to have communion together at 5. We're going to have Campus Catalyst, which is a kind of a church conference. We're going to talk about five initiatives uh, for our church in the upcoming months. Uh, and uh, we're going to uh, then... Uh, have uh, a celebration and a reception for Philip and Jan Herring. Uh, before we get there, I'm giving them this little envelope. Now, in staff, we joke about this little envelope because this is really, we go through all these words, we really like what's in the envelope. And uh, this is one of those things. I've teased him for uh, the 8 o'clock worship gathering, the 9.30 worship gathering. Today at 11 o'clock, Jan, this is yours. And... Uh, do, the, do with as you will. Don't let him Dave Ramsey you. Don't let him Dave Ramsey you. You just spend, spend, spend. Use it. Don't even ask permission. I'll be the authority over here. Just spend it. Isn't that right, church? 
Doesn't Jan need to spend it? Let's give them appreciation. Thank God for Philip and Jan. Love you all. Thank you. Oh, my goodness gracious. What a joy uh, to, uh, to serve on staff with such godly men and women. And what a joy it is for us to have this journey together that God has given us called life. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Ruth, uh, the book. We're going to kind of travel through the book of Ruth uh, today. Uh, try to do it a little bit quickly. How many of y'all like to go on a bike ride? I'm not even going to try. I love to go on a bike ride. Um, The seat's too tall, obviously. It's not my bike. Um, I love to go on a bike ride. Don't you love to go on a bike ride sometimes? You wake up in the morning and say, you know, it's a beautiful day. It's about 70 degrees outside. Let's go for a bike ride. You get on your bike and you, and you, uh, uh, you just enjoy the journey, whether it's in your neighborhood or down at the boardwalk or uh, some off-trail park or something. You, you're just going for a bike ride. And it's again, it's not hot or humid. It's just perfect weather. You can feel the breeze blowing through your hair. I've never experienced it, but I've heard that's a great experience. You, 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 you're riding along, and you're not, you're not in a race. You're not trying to get distance. You're not, you're not trying to go so many miles in so many minutes. You're, uh, you're just leisurely taking your journey. The birds are singing, and you're humming along with their sound. The sun is shining, and the clouds have disappeared. No hint of rain. Children are laughing. Angels are singing. It's a wonderful, wonderful day. Filled with such delight. When all of a sudden you hear a flockety, flockety, flock. A bangity, bangity, bang. And you look and you've got a flat tire. You have no way to fix it. And you're a mile from the car. Or you're going along and there's a clackety, clackety, clack. And you look down and the chain has sprung off. You are stuck. And what once was delight has now come to be distress. Not only distress, but it's a, it's a distress that lasts until you can get that bike. What you are riding so leisurely now is something you're going to have to tote. What once was uh, an instrument of joy has now become a burden you have to carry. And that's the way life is sometimes. See, sometimes the wheels come off. Sometimes the chain breaks. And it's in those moments, in those seasons, those detours... That God speaks into our life through the story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. 
You see, God has given us this wondrous story of, of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz to show us the signposts of His grace as we encounter these setbacks in life. To show us that He is working sometimes behind the scenes, sometimes in ways we don't see. He is working to turn those setbacks into stepping stones for joy. He is working on behalf of those who belong to Him to transform the detours of distress into delight. Now here's a promise. A promise that God makes throughout His Word. A promise that is supremely described and portrayed in the person of Jesus Christ. God is in the business of transforming distress into delight. There may be a death on Friday, but there's going to be a resurrection on Sunday. The death that Jesus died, as distressing and dark as that was, brought about the delight of rescue for sinners like you and me. God allowed Jesus to go through the deep darkness of distress on the cross, carrying the sin of sinners like you and me, so that he might deliver delight, not only to his son in exalting him to the highest place, but also delivering delight to you and me in the face of flat tires and broken chains. Today, my prayer is that you and I would be captured by this wondrous God who loves us so powerfully that he's in the business of rescue and restoration. You know, sometimes we just need a good restoration. A good makeover. Sometimes we need God to intervene in such a way that we're not walking this ugly, ugly journey uh, the way we were walking it before. We need a good restoration. God is in the business of transforming this, this distress into delight. We see this in the life of Naomi most em emphatically. And in truth, uh, although Ruth has gone through her detour of distress, the major focus of distress is on Naomi. You know the story of Naomi in Ruth chapter 1. She and her husband and her two sons uh, move from Bethlehem to Moab because there's famine in Bethlehem. They go to Moab and the two sons fall in love and they get married. Our story picks up when we discover the problem, the distress, the the flat tire, the broken chain. Naomi's husband has died. On top of that, Naomi's two sons have died. And Naomi is thrown into a whirlwind of sorrow and grief. So much so, down in, in, in chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, she tells uh, the people in Bethlehem, she leaves 
She leaves uh, Moab to go back to Bethlehem. Ruth goes with her, won't be deterred. And, and now, as she enters the streets of Bethlehem, everybody's excited. They say, this, this is Naomi. Naomi. We're so excited. We've been following you on Pinterest. <laughs> Naomi, thank you for sending your stories on Snapchat. Naomi, thank you for following me on Facebook. We've been, we've been watching the progress and now you've come home. We're so excited. Come back to our book club. We meet next Tuesday. Naomi, you're here. Yay! Now look at what Naomi does in response. She says, don't call me Naomi any longer. The meaning for Naomi, uh, it means charming. She says, I'm not charming anymore. There is no more delight in me don't call me Naomi any longer, but call me Mara. Mara, the very meaning of the word, bitterness. You see, she wants to change her name from joy to sorrow. She wants to change her name from delight to despair. She has tasted the sorrow, and it is now defining who she is. You know what I'm talking about? She, she goes on, she says, uh, uh, she says, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I, I went out full. The Lord has brought me home again empty. You see that picture? She says, I, I was full when I left here. I was satisfied when I left, but now I am empty. She has gone through distress, and that distress has now defined every fiber of her being. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, that's what a flat tire and a broken chain in real life does. It defines us. The adage, hurting people hurt people, is absolutely true. If someone is a particularly hateful old cuss, It's because they've allowed the bitterness of their circumstance, whether created by themselves or something created for them, they've allowed the bitterness, the darkness to seep into their soul, and it now defines them so that they want to treat everybody else the way they feel on the inside. And by the way, if you are a particularly hateful old cuss in this room today, God didn't make you that way, and he didn't save you so you can stay that way. My prayer today is that this would be your rescue moment. That you would be delivered today. Naomi says, I'm bitter and there is no help for me. Hope is lost and God did it to me. When the chain comes off and the wheels go flat, everything turns dark for us. When our circumstances take a swift turn downhill, then, 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 then everything begins to, to fade in front of us. All joy begins to be gone. And, and, and that deep darkness, I, I, I know we all have seasons. I'm talking about deep darkness. Now, I, I know the distress of great loss or the distress of, of, of great suffering. Not great in terms of, of me personally, but I've, I've seen it in in, in my wife, I've seen it in my family. I understand it. 
And, and I'm thankful that there are counselors, and praise God for Christian counselors, who are able to help us walk through those seasons of deep, dark depression. I praise God for the clinicians and the physicians who are able to ascertain even the, the, the chemical makeup in a person in such a way that, that there are certain medications that can help with depression. You heard me say it. I believe that's a good thing, not a bad thing. I thank God for them. But can I tell you, if you're walking through the deep darkness, maybe today God, the great physician, has something to say to you that will help you see the light and transform your vision so that you're no longer just consumed and defined by bitterness and darkness, but now you begin to see how that God is at work right now, working your deliverance. My prayer is that you might begin to see and to taste as as Naomi began to see and, and to understand that our detours into darkness provide the backdrop for God's love to shine brightly. It's in the deepest darkness that the smallest light shines the brightest. And God's love is the brightest light the world has ever seen. And it chases away darkness. And so if you're going through this season of sorrow as Naomi was, whether it's uh, the death of a loved one or uh, the, uh, the, 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 the disease of the body or, or, or the, the, the difficulty in a relationship, whatever it is that is uh, leading you on this detour, whatever's flattened your tires and, 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 and broken your chains, then today... Today, my prayer is that you would begin to see that God is shining his, the light of his love into your darkness, that you would be able to see that. Ruth and Naomi make it back to Bethlehem, and, and everybody's excited except for Naomi. Naomi's the only one that's distressed and depressed about the whole journey. She's distressed and depressed about her whole life, but Ruth is right there with her. You remember what Ruth said to Naomi, where you go, I'll go. Where, where you die, I'll die. I'll be buried with you. Your people are going to be my people. Your God's going to be my God. And may the Lord curse me if anything less than that happens. And she was committed to it. She had committed herself to love Naomi sacrificially. To leave her hometown in Moab to go to a strange place as a foreigner in a hometown of Naomi. And she did it because she loved Naomi. In chapter 2, we see that, that Naomi and Ruth are in trouble because they have no way to feed themselves. And so Ruth begins to evaluate, how in the world can I feed myself? How can I feed our family? So she decides she's going to go to a rich man's uh, field. His name is Boaz. Go to his field because he's a relative. She goes to his field. She walks behind the people reaping the grain. She uh, gets enough grain, but Boaz sees her, finds out that it's Ruth. He's excited about that. There's kind of some sparks flying between Ruth and Boaz. And Boaz is excited to see Ruth because he had heard about her love for Naomi. You look in, in uh, chapter uh, 2, verse 12. It says, Boaz, uh, verse 11 and 12, Boaz said to Ruth, It's been fully reported to me all that you have done. 
for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how, uh, how you have left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you do not know, who you did not know before. Now here is his prayer. The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given to you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Um, he prayed this blessing. God, protect you and provide for you. Well, Ruth goes home and Naomi, she understands that Ruth and Boaz, there's some sparks, but more importantly, Boaz is the deliverer that God had provided. See, God set it up in Israel. God set it up while the children of Israel are wandering in the wilderness before they get to the promised land. God set it up so that uh, if there was a person who was penniless or a person who had become widowed and, and left without any property or possessions or anything, that, that God set it up so that the closest relative had a right and a responsibility to come in and rescue the penniless and the widowed. And so that's exactly what Ruth recognized in Boaz. He was a close relative. You look in ver- uh, chapter uh, 2, verse 20. Naomi said to his daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. That word kindness in verse 20 is hesed. It is steadfast love. So do you see the turn that's happening in Naomi's life? She begins to see the shape of God's activity. She's come back to Bethlehem and she said, don't call me charming, call me bitter. But all of a sudden, God begins to reveal and unveil and sharpen her focus on how he is transforming her detour into delight. Here is a kinsman redeemer. He is a close relative. Praise God for his kindness. Uh, For for, uh, this man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. So in chapter 3, here's what Naomi tells Ruth to do. You go and and you uh, find out where uh, Boaz is going to sleep. And when he goes to sleep, you go over to him. You take uh, his cover and you uncover his feet. And then you lay down at his feet. Now, you might say, that is the weirdest thing, weirdest courting process I've ever heard. And it is. But Ruth did it. Ruth went, and, and, and she, uh, uh, she got all dressed up, all fancied up, and, and, uh, and, and that's a way, the theological way to say it. She got all fancied up. She went to where Boaz w- went to sleep. She goes over. She uncovers his feet, and she lays down next to him. What's this uncovering feet business? What is that all about? Simply said, it is a symbolic way for Ruth to say to Boaz, will you marry me? That's bottom line, that's what it means. It was Ruth proposing to Boaz. And you thought stuff like that wasn't done. (laughs) She didn't have a ring, but she sure did have a request. So she lays down, and all of a sudden, Boaz wakes up. He's surprised. He Here's this woman laying at his feet. He's going, who in the world is this? And, and so in, in chapter 3, verse 9 and 10, he says, uh, who are you? And Ruth said, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Now here's the kicker. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. Do you remember his prayer in, in chapter 2, verse 12? 
the Lord repay you for all your kindness that you have shown. The Lord God under whose wing you have taken shelter. That was his prayer. The Lord repay you. So now what Ruth does, as, as he wakes up, he says, who are you? She says, Boaz, thank you for praying that God would shelter me under his wing. Boaz, I got some good news for you. You are the answer to your prayer. Now, take me under your wing. Boaz, you are my reward. Boaz, will you be my husband? Boaz was overjoyed. He was thrilled. Even though he was a wealthy man, chances are he wasn't a good-looking man. That's a joke. I have no idea. How would you know? I mean, he was excited. Again, there were sparks flying between him uh, and Ruth. And, and, and he had already said, I've, I know what you've done for your mother-in-law, Naomi. I've seen how you've loved her. He says in, in chapter 3, verse 10, he said, and you've shown kindness to me. He answered, blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning. The end is here, her in front of him. The beginning was her kindness toward Naomi. And, and here's the kindness that Ruth showed Naomi. I mean, Ruth showed Boaz. You didn't go after the young man, whether they're rich or poor. I mean, this is real life stuff. She, he knew that, that, that Ruth could have gone after a guy. But she wanted to be with him. And he counted that as an act of love. Loyal love. Sacrificial love. And because of love, because of love that was displayed from for Ruth for Naomi and Naomi for Ruth and, and Ruth for Boaz. Boaz determined that he would be the kinsman redeemer. He would be God's source for providing and protecting Ruth and Naomi. And it is Naomi as well. You go down to chapter 3 verse 17. So what happens is Boaz says, now Ruth... I, I am all in. Yes! I mean, Ruth said, will you accept this rose? And, and Boaz said, yes! And, and I mean, it was, I, he was all in. He said, but there's a problem. You remember the contestant from last season? He's still kicking around. He has the right of first refusal. There's another relative who's closer than I am. And because Boaz was a man of integrity and honor to God... He said, I've got to go and strike a deal with this closer relative. So he did. God orchestrated it all. God orchestrated the encounter there at the city gate between Boaz and the closer relative. And in that encounter between Boaz and the closer relative, Boaz says, somebody's got to redeem Naomi and Ruth. And, and so the relative says, okay, I'll do it. But then Boaz adds, but you've got to marry Ruth. And, 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 and so the relative says, well, I can't do that. And Boaz says, okay, done deal. I'll take it. It's mine. 
You see how giddy he was? He's so excited. I mean, he even takes off a shoe and gives it to the guy. He said, here it is. He was thrilled. And that's God operating behind the scenes, working providentially for the good. And so, anyway, so, so uh, in, in the meantime, in, at the end of chapter uh, 3, verse 17, Ruth goes home and, and, and Naomi says, tell me what happened. And so here's, here's Naomi, uh, Ruth's answer, verse 17. She said to Naomi, these six ephahs of barley he gave me. For he said to me, do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. I got, I got to take huge. You might say, well, that's no big deal. He's just giving a gift to the mother. No, he's saying, I'm committing myself not only to Ruth, but to Naomi. And where you believe that, 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 that you went away full and came home empty, I'm here to tell you I'm God's instrument to make you satisfied again. You're not going to be empty-handed any longer. God has put me in your world to rescue, to give you an exodus, a deliverance from the bondage of bitterness that has, has, has trapped you. And maybe you're here today. Look at me. Maybe you're here today and you are trapped in that bondage of bitterness. You're in the dungeon of distress and darkness. The wheels are flat. The chain is broken. And you, you just need a little help. God has provided a redeemer for you and for me. We see the, the promise of this redeemer. Please understand, uh, this is more than just about Naomi and Ruth. The story is more than, than just about, uh, about a, love, uh, a, a, a love story there in, in, in Palestine. It's, it is about you and me as well. You see, when God brings rescue, he does it not only to bless us who have been faithful to him, but also to bless generations to come. By the way, you realize that's what we're all about, this church. We're all about not just uh, the blessings that we receive from the hand of God, but how can we be blessed in such a way and live in such a way and serve God in such a way so that generations beyond us are blessed? Think about what God did for Boaz and Ruth and Naomi. Ruth gives birth to a son. And everybody gets excited because it is a picture that God rewards those who are faithful to him in ways that transcend their life and their lifetime. Everybody's excited. Look at chapter 4, verse 14 and 15. The women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative, and may his name be famous in Israel. May he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. God's story to you and to me is that when the chains come off, we can know that God is using the detour of distress to bring about his greater purpose and our greater delight. We can know that God is providing not only for us blessing, but blessing for generations to come as we move in the flow of his rescuing work. The, the, the beauty of this story is that the child that Boaz and Ruth, Ruth being a Moabite, the child that was born, he had a son. And his son's name was... Obed, and Obed had a son, 
And his son's name was Jesse. And Jesse had a son. And Jesse's son's name was David, King David. And ultimately, David would have a son, and his name is Jesus. And because of the faithful love of Ruth and Boaz, and because of God's providence at work in the life of Naomi, we've received the blessing today. So the question is, how do we taste delight while we're still stuck in the dark? You know, the truth is God's love is shining into the dark right now, but, but sometimes we need more than just a light shining in the dark. We, we want the dawn to break. We're not looking for a light. We're looking for the sun. We want something to break on the horizon to show us that, yes, it's dark right now, but tomorrow is coming, and it's a new day, and it's a new way, and I can live in the victory of that. But, but sometimes we still have to go with a flat tire and a broken chain. Sometimes we have to walk through the darkness before we can taste the delight of the dawn. So how do we taste it? How do we taste the light of God's love in the midst of it? Let's learn the lesson of Ruth. The first thing we, did, we need to do to step into the flow of that delight is we need to seek shelter under the wings of the living God. You want to taste joy? You want to taste life? You want to be delighted? Then stop dwelling in the darkness all alone and go under the wing of the, and the protection and the provision of the living God. Give yourself to him all your baggage, everything. Just say, God, this is me. I'm a mess. Will you take me? And God says, absolutely. Today, God wants to take you right where you are. But you've got to seek the shelter. That's Ruth 2.12. He said, uh, Boaz said, hey, listen, I know you're seeking the shelter of God's protection. Praise God. We have the chance to do that as followers of Christ. You want to taste delight, then taste it hand in hand with the living God. This is your moment. Will you seek shelter under God's wing? Every day you wake up, oh God, here I am, all of me, the mess of me, the hurt of me and the pain of me, the pride in me and the brokenness of me. Here I am. I seek shelter under your wing. I want the protection and the provision that only God can provide. The second thing that we need to do is to live loyal love. Can I tell you throughout this book is the theme of hesed. Translated kindness in uh, most translations, it is a picture of God's faithful love to those who belong to him. And it's also a picture of how we are to love others. This lifestyle of loyal love is what uh, attracted Boaz to Ruth. Because Ruth lived a life of loyal love toward Naomi and, and toward Boaz, uh, Boaz said, that's what I need in my life. I need that person who is sacrificial and generous and giving, who doesn't just say, I love you, but who actually shows, I love you. And Boaz, he was committed to a life of loyal love, providing for Ruth even before Ruth gave him the time of day, taking care of Ruth and Naomi. 
and then redeeming them and rescuing them. Loyal love, that's the theme. And it is the life that we are to lead. You know, you and I, when we enter into that season of distress, that detour of darkness, you know what happens to us? We have a tendency to want to hide or cocoon. But we 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 want to wall ourselves off, protect ourselves. There's a there, there's a piece of us that wants to wants to just uh, shut ourselves off from everybody else. We're we're living in bitterness. Don't call me charming. Call me bitter. We want to huddle up and cocoon all by ourselves. And we only want to think about our own pain. You know what I'm talking about? But one of the things, one of the lessons that we learn is, is that if we're going to taste delight, we can't do it while we're complaining about our sorrows. You want to taste delight in the midst of the detour? Then the first thing that you need to do is seek shelter under God's wing. The second thing, and while you're seeking shelter, find ways to live loyal love toward others. To love others. Acts of kindness. Generosity. Showing others the love that you've experienced in the person of Jesus Christ. Showing others uh, how, how, how glorious God's love is. We need to love others. One of the best ways to get out of our funk is to go ahead and start helping others in their problems. You want to feel better? You want to taste some delight? Then love others the way Jesus has loved you. This is what we're supposed to do. Look, it doesn't matter how many times they detour us out here on the highway. This church is gathered together by God for one purpose, and that is to glorify Him. How do we glorify Him? By loving others. This is not the time for us to cocoon and think only about ourselves and to consider only what's best for us, protect ourselves. That's not what the church was created for. This church was created to be a bright display, of a shining light of God's glorious love to people who do not know him. One of the best ways to taste the light as a church, as a follower of Jesus even when detours are happening, even when tires are flat, even when the chains are off, one of the best ways is to live loyal love. Be sacrificial and generous in love toward others. This is the commandment Jesus gave us. To love others the way he has loved us. We live loyal love and then finally, and most importantly, Turn to our Redeemer. Naomi began to have hope when she saw that there was a Redeemer. Ruth was filled with awe and love when she saw her Redeemer. When we turn to our Redeemer, we find hope for a better tomorrow. Now, certainly God provided Boaz for Ruth and Naomi. Certainly God uh, puts people in our lives that, that are rescuers to us. And people like Philip Herring, can I tell you the safest place? It's not with Philip. Philip is a great, great friend, good rescuer for me at times. But the safest place I feel when I'm lonely, and I do get lonely, when I'm depressed, and I think I get depressed, when I'm 
When I'm sad or uncertain or feeling insecure or messed up because of my sin, the safest place, the most secure place that I have to go is in the arms of my wife, Edie Thomas, who loves me beyond what I deserve. Isn't that a beautiful thing? And I'm safe in her embrace. She is a rescuer for me. I pray that this church would be a, a, a rescue for, for you, that you would find here relationships and people who would step into the darkness with you and say, I'm with you and, and I'll journey through this with you and I'll help you in your, in your trouble and I'll be with you in your pain and your sorrow. I, I, I'm excited that this church can be that, but beyond uh, a person, beyond Boaz, beyond Edie, beyond, beyond the church, we need to turn to Jesus, because he is the only one who can limitlessly rescue us. See, my wife has limits. This church has limits, but Jesus has no limits. My goodness, he left heaven's throne to be born in a manger in a stable. God become man so that he might rescue us. He went to a cross to die for sinners in our place He was raised from the dead. There is nothing that limits God's ability to rescue us in the person of Jesus Christ. You want victory. You want to taste joy. You want to taste delight in the face of your detour. Then focus on Jesus, friends. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth that derail us, detour us, overwhelm us, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Naomi's story, it began with death, but it ended with life. I pray that becomes your story as well. Would you bow your heads, please? In these next few moments, will you quietly consider God who loves you, has provided rescue for you in the person of Christ. If you're far from God because you're separated from him by your sin and you don't know a Savior named Jesus, then today perhaps is your day to be rescued. My prayer is that God would spark in your heart a desire and the courage to place your faith in Jesus who died on a cross for your sin so that you might be forgiven forever who was raised from the dead to give you a new life. And perhaps today is your day to choose Christ, to call upon him by faith, to admit that you're a sinner, to believe that Jesus is your only hope, and to commit yourself to him as your Savior and King. Will you come to Christ today? I invite you to come. In a few moments, we're going to be 
considering God's word to us and what he's speaking to us. And as followers of Christ, I encourage you to stay right where you are and just think and reflect. Listen to the song. Talk to God about where you are. If you're in the midst of darkness, then talk to God about his protection and provision. If you're overwhelmed with bitterness, talk to God about living loyal love. If you find yourself a little hopeless or helpless, turn to Jesus, your Redeemer. So as followers of Christ, maybe that's what you would do in these next few moments. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, there are going to be ministers here at the front. You can come talk to us. We'll help you come to Christ and find life. In these next few moments, will you hear Jesus speaking, offering himself to you as the good shepherd? He is the one to whom we can turn who will provide for our every need, who leads us to lush living in the green pastures that he has made ready for us, to lead us by quiet waters where we can find rest, restoration for our soul, providing protection for us in the face of enemies and a banquet feast to nourish the deepest parts of our being. He is our protector and our provider. And we want for nothing in his embrace. So now, Father, in this moment, lead us to respond to you. Speak, and we will respond and say yes. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.